Sometimes the way we sing songs, I would start lead off and then Trina comes in with harmonies. And it's when that happens, I always get this comfort. It's like you've gone into another place and the voice is just absolutely blend. And you then sing better. Everything just changes. And that's what creates the kind of inner magic. And it's not only a matter of being moved yourself, it's seeing how other people will react and, and it may be very moving for them. And your voice is your voice, but it's, it's your being, it's part of you, and it's a gift. Two sisters, two singers, with voices steeped in music and storytelling. They're my guests in this episode of Vocal Chords. Mared and Trinity Ronal come from a family of royalty in the Irish song tradition. Their distinctive and beautiful voices blend together, drawing on their father's Donegal roots in Ranafast and the songs they learnt, in fact one might say absorbed, as children from him and his sister Nelly. I'm Irla Olinard and in this series Vocal Chords, I'm exploring the journey of the human voice in songs and the singers like Mairead and Trina who carry those songs. Mairead and Trina Nironel share a life of singing, both together and apart, both as family and on stage. With their brother Michal, they formed the band Scarabre when they were just teenagers. Trina and Michal went on to become part of the Bothy band, while Mairead recorded acclaimed solo work. Sadly, Michal, a musician who influenced my own work greatly, died far too young. Well, it's not far off 50 years now since that first memorable Scarabray recording. And today, I'm with both women, talking about the power of song across the generations. Mairead, I was Nach Untergewe in Vurgudachter Rich. Now, tell me, has that been part of the process for you, Mairead, and you, Trina, in terms of like choosing a song, seeking out that special version, tweaking a song here and there? There was a style of singing, and I think as we got older, we realised we sing in a certain way. And that kind of thing, too, of drawing a line in a note not taking a breath that's at the end of certain lines. Phrasing. Phrasing. And you do it instinctively when you're learning a song, but then you suddenly realise that's the way you do it because you carry that kind of way of singing into other songs. And another important thing that our father impressed on us was to tell the story of the song or to put the song across. And I picked that up from Nelly in that the poetry of a particular song or the story of it, you had to take that into yourself 
and live it as if you were right inside it, as if you had written it almost. Mm. And sometimes it can be nearly painful. You have to hold back tears sometimes in putting the emotion of the song across. It's a fine line between breaking down and your breathing and that to me is what's so powerful about songs and singing and Myra the Night when we get together there's a joy too of connection when we're delivering a, a, a song the likes of Dona Log just suddenly came into my head and something I've always maintained is that if the air is not what I love even though the words are lovely and have great narrative and that have great words but if the air isn't beautiful I'll never bother with that song your dad, A. O'Donnell, is a fascinating character. He's a Donegal man to the core, but you, your family moved to Kells. Well, our father, his parents were part of the land commission where people were asked to move from Gaeltacht areas down to the Pale and round there to bring the Irish language. And his parents came pre-Second World War and they stayed through the war and they were in Ballygib in Gibbstown, just outside Kells. And they stayed till 1955. They decided to go home. They missed the sea and they never really settled. Couldn't put roots down. Couldn't put roots down. And at that point, my father was teaching in Kells. And that's how we came to be rare there. And he formed a, a clash cattle, which is like a, a unison singing choir, just with people in the town in Kells. And um, this is when we were growing up and we were quite young. Yeah. It was his kind of after school thing that he did coming up to the Arachthus every year. What sort of material would you be singing in? Cailin Gaela. Cailin Gaela, Fadarni. Ranafas songs or songs that he'd collected himself. He was collecting for the Folklore Commission in the 30s. Yes. He was the first person who collected in Torrey Island. Whenever I meet you and like, I mean, when I hear you and when we talk about the music, Donegal is like the place. Donegal is where our souls are. Well, yeah, uh, uh, we spent every summer there because there was a, a college, an Irish college, College of Regia. That's right. And Daddy would, all through the summer, he would correct groups art Irish papers. Yeah. And then, of course, because he was a teacher, it was Easter, Halloween, we'd head up to Donegal. And in my mind's eye now, I can see the joy on on his face when he'd be packing the car, you know, getting the loan of a, of a roof rack and all the suitcases as heading up. It was like going to the moon. When we get to as far as Virginia, you know, a few miles out the road from Kells mm -hmm. and he would stop the car and we all got ice creams. So suddenly this kind of quite strict man turned into a complete yeah. a jellyfish when he at thought it would be gone. But uh, as soon as we hit the hilltop in Letterkenny, you know, it was, you got the sixpence if you, whoever spotted our eagle first. <laughs> <laughs> Ji 
and you got the smell of the turf and you know this magic was created for us that's fabulous I and mean, when he told us even when he was small he was he was bald that he'd lost his hair falling down there again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we I believed So I know you were all young, just teenagers in fact, when the first Scarabray record came about. What's the story behind it? Myra and I were still at school and my mother and I, we saw an ad in the local paper for the Kilkenny Beer Festival competition and we entered for that. And our father, Daddy, drove us to all of these heats, you know, no, before the first we... heat, we wouldn't get past it. Yeah. But of course we did. We got past the second and the third and the, to the final. So he used to finish his day's work, collect us from school, drive to Dublin, collect the two lads were in, Michal and the Hyrink is just started first year in UCD, UCD, collect them, drive to Kilkenny for the heat, drive them back and drive home and go to school the next day. Yeah. But he suggested that the things like at the last minute, we had so many songs, we might have had seven or eight or something. And, uh, you know, he said, well, Gujifa, Inishkun Rava, Maidant, Kjolshin, you know, and Bon Krikir Noy, he suggested that at the last minute too. So this was like an album was recorded in one afternoon with a stereo pair hanging out of the ceiling in a hall in Terenure. And that was Scarabray. You know, people look at it and say it was one of the founding albums in the Irish language. You've described beautifully there the kind of lead up, the sort of fact that a family got together in such a way that it was almost inevitable you would make a record like Scarabray because you were singing. But these harmonies, this this approach to vocal singing, yes, it's familial sounding, but it is influenced also clearly to my ear to all the other stuff you were listening to. Mm-hmm. at the time on the radio or on these records. Can you tell me some more about that? What Did you have a goal? Did you have a kind of an aesthetic goal? Did you have a plan yourselves in Mihal? When we were growing up and we were listening to the likes of Nelly and our father and the people in Ranafast, nobody was singing harmonies. So, in fact, the harmonies then started from, I suppose, the influence outside of the tradition. But we brought that into 
what we were doing. And uh, it just works. And we sit in under each other. Maybe, I don't know, do you agree with me? Well, it's something that comes completely naturally to me and always has from a very young age. But I'm sure I, w- I must have been influenced by mostly the Beatles, I'd say. We were listening to lots of uh, music like that, but the Beatles' harmonic sense somehow got in on me. Unfortunately, we didn't have much opportunity to continue on with Scarabray because Myrith went into nursing and I went to college. And then you took off with the bottle and band then I then took off. Yourself and me all. Talk to me a little bit, Trina, for a moment about the Bothy band. There's a couple of things I'm, I'm curious about. Whose idea was it? And how did how did it kind of ignite? And what did you get up to as soon as you kind of got it together? Uh, we were part of a band that we, we called ourselves Shachter, Michal and myself and Donal and... Donal Lunny. Yeah. Yeah. And Tommy Peoples and Paddy Glacken and Tony McMahon. Tony was, was in that lineup, And uh, we did a few gigs down the country and they were just kind of weekends where we'd play in some local hall and kind of take it to the nearest pub. That was your plan, wasn't it? To go out into the into the countryside and to have these beautiful events with local musicians yeah. and so forth. But it didn't quite stay like that. And it, it didn't stay like that because it we, we sort of then decided would we officially try to get together and take the big risk of going on the road. So it was you? So it was myself and Michal and Donal, Tommy and Matt and Paddy Keenan. And when, when one listens back to the Bothy band, what strikes me, and actually I think I saw you guys play when I was a little little kid in, in Coulee, the energy, the revolutionary sort of sense of rhythm. This tremendous rhythm. I mean, it was rock and roll uh, in the Irish sense. Like, I remember um, going in to Trinity, where they did one amazing gig. And people still talk about that gig, where just the atmosphere was electric. They brought traditional music at that time to a level that nobody had. And it appealed to 20-somethings who were all kind of hanging around in Dublin. And uh, there was a bit of a revival at the time in we had the traditional club on a Wednesday night in Slattery's and we were all listening to great players and wonderful singers and there was an amazing buzz around in the 70s. But then when the Bothy Band just, it just brought it to another level. And anyone who was around in those days, even thinking about it, I'm, I can feel 
feel the excitement, you know, it was just something else. Was the rhythm section like the piano, your own wonderful percussive style of piano for those tunes and those songs, and then those wonderful driving bazooki player, Michal's guitar work, that's the heart really of the, there's a sort of an engine inside inside the Bathy Band, isn't there, compared to what came before? Well, um, we rehearsed very little, but somehow we just clicked together. And uh, for me, it was a joy to be playing with traditional players because I was their biggest fan. I mean, hearing Matt and Tommy playing together. Rihanna, <laughs> tell me about the song, Do You Love an Apple? There was one weekend and I was asked to take part in a programme on TV and it was on songs of emigration, but there were songs in English that were needed. And I asked my father, you know, I could think of loads in Irish, but I couldn't think of, you know, did I know? And he said to me, and uh she was not blind from birth, but unfortunately lost her sight in her early uh, 20s. And I went up to Auntie Nellie's and I sat with her and I couldn't believe it. I had never heard her either speak or sing in English in my life until that moment. Oh, do you love an apple? Do you love a pear? Do you love and she came out with everything from... When I was a fair maid, the streets of Derry, as I roved out from the county cavern, and in fact, my there was a cousin of ours in the room, and and she kind of, it, it, I didn't know what was coming because, she she told him to go out and get some turf. Since I got married, I wore on. And so maybe she didn't want him to to hear her singing this like slightly. Risque, a little bit risque. A little uh, racy, maybe. Yeah. And then suddenly she began, Do you love an apple? He stood at the corner of Agony's mouth, two hands in his pockets, he fuddled me out. And um, I had to suppress a, a giggle, you know, a laugh. And uh, I was just thrilled to hear to hear that was the beginning of all of these songs in English that I, I never dreamt that she had. But since I got married the credits on the way still I love him I can't deny him and I will be with him wherever he goes. Before I got married I And really became quite a bit of a signature sound for you. Yeah, I suppose uh, uh, it was one that people seemed to like. A simple melody, simple words. Where would she have heard them? I mean, how, how, how so? How did she have the English ones? Well, there's another story like that's gone on uh, over the years and when there were so many people from Ranafast 
going on seasonal migration tatty hooking or, or working in the mines or whatever going over to Scotland mostly and they would say to her in Irish well Maggie well Maggie what can we bring you back and she'd say bring me back a song and there were so many other singers around that our father collected from. Like, he didn't have to go farther than his own people. Oh, still I love him, I can't deny him. How much of that repertoire nourished your work in those days? All of it, all of it. You know, I mean, I recorded a solo album on, on Gaelin and most of the songs were from Nelly or from our father. And again, the first few Bathy Band recordings, we put a, a setting, a musical setting behind those songs, which was also very, it was lovely to have that musicianship behind these new songs to me. So she listened to all the old people and she she got songs like our granny did, loved singing, sat all day long singing and, and they had picking up. Iarnio. They had to pay, you know, with the evenings where they were all... What do you call it? Iarnio. Iarnio. Like we'd call it Skriacht below. Skriacht, yeah. same thing. Iarnio. And, you know, if, when there was an Iarnio, people came in, came out, sang songs. It was well known that if Nelly liked a song, she'd ask somebody to sing it a second time and she would have it. She would have it. So she was actually collecting in her own way. Yeah, yeah but she, she had, she loved words, she loved stories, and she used to knit an iron sweater a week and because of her blindness she didn't go out to dances and places where maybe the younger people of her ear were all doing so she stayed at home with the old people so she heard, she knitted and listened Perhaps the greatest gift Nellie had was the power of her listening Absolutely Yeah, yeah Because it proved once and for all that if you listen right you really get it at everything yeah. It's hard to do in today's distracted world. It is, Absolutely. yeah. That's it. Do you love a novel? Do you love a bear? Do you love a lady with party brown petals I love them. I can't and I can. I'll be with them wherever he goes. Um, Marid... Tell me something about how you met Carl, your husband Carl Gohan, who one knows is as deeply invested in song culture, to say the least, in folklore. First of all, he is, he's a scholar of folklore. but And of course, he's as interested in songs as anyone could ever meet. Absolutely, and knows so much about them, you know, the oracle. But um, we met in Ranafast in 1971. I was 16, he was 17, and... Uh, he was attending the college. Um, in fact, that year, his father asked him to go. He had been there the year before, but it was um, the introduction of internment. And I think they were all trying to get out of Belfast and his father sent him off to Ranafast and we met up and we started writing to each other. And the following year, he was doing A-levels, I was doing Leave and Cert and we came to Dublin and, you know, five years later, we married. Hey, Sir Majin, Smarilla Gallan Afrin, 
But thankfully, he did know my father because our father died four months to the day that we got married, which is just 40 years ago. He died, um, he died, he died in, in February 77 and uh, he was 63 years of age. But luckily, Cahal had known him for five or six years. And when we would come down at weekends from Dublin, the two of them sat together and they talked about songs and about Irish. And Cahal loved the way my father spoke Irish. He, he was a great scholar of Irish. And, uh, you know, he at that stage was doing Celtic studies and uh, in UCD. So he had a huge interest in the songs from a kind of listening and enjoyment, but also an academic. He, he took up where I couldn't go. So in some ways, your father's uh, very sad and early, early death. Uh, nevertheless, Carl sort of dovetailed the interest and kept kept Absolutely, that plateau yeah. of interest going. Yes, and then when we started going up to Nelly, Trina was away at that stage and with the Bothy Band, and then I subsequently she went to America. So we used to go up to Donegal a lot. And um, himself and Peter Brown at one stage, and I think Harry Bradshaw from RT, they, they went up and they recorded her. And, you know, so thankfully there are um, some recordings of her singing. Is there a particular Auron or song from Nelly's singing that, you know, found a further life in your own work that really resonates? Her version of Roshin Du. Is not... I found anywhere else outside of Ranafast, I think that particular version of it. And it, it is lovely and she sung it beautifully. And again, I remember going through that with her verse by verse, you know, when I first recorded it. I still love to sing that song, you know, her version of it. It's like going to kind of a university. <laughs> I mean, my own upbringing in the Gaelic doesn't match your sort of sitting with this sage mm. and just imbibing all that cultural information for so long, already having been given permission and the keys to the kingdom, but by your dad and your mum. Mm. It's really, it's incredibly intense and personal and rich. Cotton fell in love with Myra's voice and with her in just the same way my father fell in love with my mother through, you know, her voice. And when they were, his family were living in Gibstown and her sisters came down 
the year before and then the following year Mammy came down they said if you think they're good singers wait till they hear our breed and that's how they hooked up and it was through the song Nelly seems to have given you her benediction in terms of what you were doing with the songs and because I, I find that when one studies the kind of culture of folk music at that period, th- there are various forces that would not necessarily free a person up. And yet you seem to have been very strongly tethered to the tradition, but at the same time quite empowered to take chances and to create and to synthesize your own sound. Absolutely. And I, I've been thinking a lot about her lately and how brave and strong a personality and character she was to have lost her sight and to have gone into this inner world. And uh, how she bravely went on for years and years. I can see her picking her way along with her hand on the on the walls of the, the house, knowing where everything which she had to, where everything was. And just seeing her with her arm linking her sister, Auntie Annie, who looked after her for so many years, or her mother. And she was very tall, tall woman. And uh, her spirituality and, you know, she was very, she was either knitting, singing or rachapodjering. She lived a life, a very full life, you know, without her sight. You, you've mentioned before, Mary, that in the culture that you were exposed to as kids growing up, that it was the women really who were the custodians of song more than the men. And maybe, is, is, is that true? I mean, have I heard wrong? They said songs came down through the women and the tunes came through the men, you know. Because, of course, they were on, on their own, mostly through the winter, or a lot of the men because of the... Uh, Emigration. So the men would go to, to to Scotland and to go across and work open. for work for a few months, and you know, women sat and and knitting together, mm. and to, and chatting and talking and stories and songs and and those, as we mentioned, the ER yell. So there's a strong, so there's a strong real matriarchal sort them. of protection and of these songs. Yes. I feel very protected at the moment. <laughs> Is it more intense now, the feeling of an indebtedness to the source? Absolutely it is. And we also always gave recognition to who you are the song from. Um, Nelly told you who she learned it from, where she got the song, the story that went with it. It's a courtesy, it's, it's manners, you know. Mm. Sir. 
your brother Michal O'Donnell, a man I met myself. I think he was the first person to ever record me in studio. I was lucky for me. I think I was singing Ashton Gal for Gaelin. And who was producing? Your brother, Michal O'Donnell. A very gentle presence, a beautiful singer, and an incredibly talented arranger and thinker about music. Tell me something, what was, what was he like um, as, a, as a person? Paint a picture for me about him as a person, as a musician. Uh, well, he was a wonderful musician. He, like Quintrina was talking earlier about piano, I do remember him playing whatever piece for whatever grade it was. A difficult classical piece, but he would have it perfect in terms of his fingering and all that. He was, people talked about him actually being, a, 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 he won prizes, he was a, a lovely pianist. And then when he took up the guitar again, everybody remembers what a, an extraordinary guitar player in the traditional sense. But I mean, when you listen to some of the arrangements he did on guitar for traditional song, it's just beautiful. Is there one song in particular of his that you adore? Um, I mean, his rendition, which everybody knows him for, is uh, Lord Franklin. Oh, and stunning. there are so many yeah. kind of versions of it um, that he's recorded with various, but it, they're all beautiful. stuff that he, pieces that he wrote in the years that we we were in America recording with Night Noise, original music. Tell me about that, Trina, because after you finished your stint with the Bossy Band, you headed west. Tell me how, how that actually kind of came to pass in the be to begin with, like why and how you went to America. Um... It wasn't that was, there was any big breakup or... I'm disappointed to hear that. There was no big bust up or anything, no? No, <laughs> not whatsoever. But <laughs> I just, we, we, we couldn't make a living anymore and we'd played. You'd, you had done the circuit over and over and over and we all just kind of decided to take a break and do other things. Do other things. And me and... and uh, this fellow that I was going with at the time, we went to America, headed over to San Francisco and through other friends, musicians, I ended up in North Carolina, in Chapel Hill. And uh, Michal and Kevin ended up being based in, in Portland, Oregon, the, the other side mm. of the country. and became part of a, a band with Michal called uh, Night Noise. Mm 
did you feel you had to relinquish anything to just be focused on so much instrumental music? Or was it a really wonderful playground for you to try different things? I, I would say it was a wonderful playground and Michal encouraged me to write and I had dabbled in that from when I was 13. I think I wrote my first little song and Joni Mitchell was my hero at the time and you know I'd written a couple of little songs here and there but it brought forth that that desire I had you know and it opened up a whole other world for me particularly. Like it took us a couple of years before the work came in and things kind of took off after a couple of years and it was a joy that we, you know, got to places, wonderful venues and kind of a fan base built up and led to some great gigs and tours. Um, Marid, I'm, I'm just looking at your solo records. There's a persistent presence in your work down through the years. I'm, I'm referring really to Donald Lunny. He's sort of a catalytic presence across a lot of the work. Absolutely. Like I had made the, the first kind of solo album when I was 21 or whatever. And Galen approached me to do another album in uh, 1999, was it? Or whatever. Mm. And uh, if that's it, that's <laughs> And uh, when I was thinking about it, I thought about ringing Donald and see what he thought. And I knew he was very busy and he was doing so much, but so many other people, but Carl encouraged me to give him a call. And within the hour, he arrived at my door. And uh, he said, what have you got? So I sang him about six or seven songs or whatever. And literally within two weeks, we were in there recording. And I was working at the time, part-time, in theatre in Mount Carmel and, you know, we used to have great laughs. I'd have worked in the morning and go out to the studio in the afternoon and stay there till two o'clock in the morning and go back to work the next day and whatever. But it was one of the most exciting times of my life. And it turned out then, kind of halfway through the recording, Michal and Trina happened to be home on a bit of a holiday. So, of course, they didn't expect to be nabbed in in the middle of their holiday, but we got them into studio. And really, that album is the album that, you know, I keep going back to myself because it, I think there's just, there was some beautiful moments. You kind know. of a family album in it, a way. it really is. It's very, very beautiful. Done, it's, it it is. It's, it's, a, it's a great, great. Um, and then on that album too was the beautiful. We Trina and Michal and I got to do the Kalyan Gaelic, which we used to sing with Scarabray, but we actually never recorded it. So that was beautiful that that happened. <laughs> 
just thinking of that track and Kylie Gaelic and remembering Myra and I, we we put it down live. I think it happened in one take. I was just backing on keyboards. Mm. Michal came in uh, maybe the following day to put guitar on top of it. Mm. And then Donald turned around and said, look, I'm not going to even he touch said, yeah, it. He often says that's the one track on that album. He said, not He's not on it. He just said, I'm not going in. I'm not going to go near this. What you three of you have done here. Yeah, it Richard was right. Cart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because I suppose really what it comes down to is that despite the separation of time and geography, really you you were knitted together. We were. The three of you. Three years ago, we were in the States and we decided to do a few gigs with Dahi Sproul because the idea was actually just very shortly before Michal died, we had planned to resurrect Scarabray and we did one or two gigs and the plan was to do a lot more. And then, sadly, Michal died. Mm. And there was a lull for a lot of years after that that we did very, very little. And um, we couldn't. It was. I think we were broken for a, for a while. So we couldn't replace him. So we decided we just the three of us would do a few gigs, and we went back to Portland, which was very emotional for Trina. We went back to Portland, and we went to Seattle, and we went to sort of around Minneapolis, around where Port lives. But the thing about it was, is the three of us just took up where we left off. Because Dahi, even though he's not a sibling, I think there's a time in your life when, you, when you're young and you gig together or you sing together. Something happens then. When we got together again, it was like, you know, um, no we just, issues. even though there was that missing piece, Michal, mm. it still worked and it was lovely. And uh, we, we, the three of us really enjoyed it, you know. Michal will be 11 years dead this year, uh, which is really hard to believe, you know. We lost our two brothers and our mother Eamon in between. Eamon, it's 14 years this year. When those few years went by where we were, really were broken. It's lovely to think now, in the last two or three years, we, we're, we are getting back to sort of enjoying and getting in there with those songs again. And I think we're doing it in a different way. I come back to womanhood again. Tea with the Maggies. T 
two of them, Maggie's Like, I mean, been those great. are your mates, right? Yeah. They're your pals. <laughs> and that, that grew out. And that grew out of, that you, grew out you out tell of it actually, better, Maggie. You know, it grew out of oh, sort yeah. of, you know, almost, it, we did a concert mm-hmm. for Hall. We wanted to recognise his passing and do something and all the musicians that loved him wanted to be part of it. But on that night, a lot of the old pals came together and... Uh, Maya was there, Maya Brennan and Maraid. Maraid introduced the concert, Maraid Nguyeni and Trina and I. And uh, afterwards, my daughter, Rosha, kind of said to us, you know, God, you, you should do something, you know. And we got talking about it and uh, the timing was just right. As it happened, Moya wasn't too busy at the time, Maria wasn't. And we got together, we we went into Manus Lonnie's studio in Donegal and we were looking out at the beach and we were looking across at Erigal and something happened. And we just enjoyed every minute of it. You sang. And we, were, we sang and we had fun and four women together, you know, uh, we really did enjoy it. Actually, one of the mornings we arrived down and the apology had come from Cameron about Bloody Sunday. And that day, you know, a, a, a song emerged, Donat Nafala. And uh, things like that happened. So. That's the kind of thing I imagine, well, <laughs> I'm kind of jealous of the fact that one could do that in a way, kind of make a record with, you know, dear friends. And then the Donegal Divas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I couldn't be amidst that, but that you've known for about yeah, well, 30, 40 years. sense also that you've you've both lived with your music your your voices for they're like it's like a companion in a way it's it's part of your story absolutely i i you know um i admire in some sense um, i admire myra i mean she's um she's still an extraordinary nurse if anything Mm. as there's any emergency or anything happens she kicks into gear immediately you know uh, a mother a wonderful sister, oh a beautiful God. person. <laughs> no, I no, I'm serious. And and uh, but it's great to be together, together, isn't it? it? Yeah. One thing, when I think back on those years I described earlier about the years where we were a bit broken, I also suffered some health issues with my voice, and there was a time where I thought the voice was gone, and that brings into focus that your voice, your singing voice, is part of you. And I remember going to one consultant and he said, you know, well, that's it. I said, but I'm a singer. And he said, so what? You know, you have to realise that. But then when you ask yourself, that's actually your life. And I worked hard to come back from that and the joy that that has brought. 
that I actually, in a way, I found my voice again and I found it in a very different way. And it must be horrendous for people who feel, you know, that they have lost their voice. It must be. I mean, even if I get a sore throat, I kind of... Yes, I you get, panic. I, I get a bit sad. <laughs> when I go, I and, get down, yeah, actually. Yeah. I and mean, I'm hear sure of, you did. Oh, absolutely. It really, really can bring you, if you thought that, because it's what you did. I mean, there are recordings of me when I was three singing. Our dad always had a, a tape recorder and he recorded us as children. So you, it's, it's what you are. What we always have to have when we're performing is we have to see each other because it's so much part of what we do. The nod and the wink, you mean? Yeah, yeah. When to go and when to stop and when to... Yeah, making eye contact. Making eye contact. But it's also about um, an expression our, our father used to use, you must listen across. And uh, I got what he was talking about. Listen uh, across. You hear each other singing and you hear the, the pauses and the breaths and the... Yeah. And that's, I think, what we've done since we were children. That's about yeah. what siblings do or whatever they... And those moments where, where there are difficult moments that... Uh, you know, one or other of us might have forgotten what the next line is. Yes. Yes. And if we can't see each other, um, it's not as it's not as comfortable. No, you know. There are little conversations that go on, un unspoken, if you know what I mean, it, mm. whilst the piece of music is, is being played, be it as, as a song or, or a tune. have to say that, you know, Cahal, my brother-in-law, like my brothers, he's uh, fantastic in, in that uh, he picked up where our father left off and he's still to this day, he'll pick out a song that he'd love to hear Myra the Nice singing, like Owen Burkach, and he'll resurrect it or he'll draw our attention to it. Like a librarian. And... Uh, and you he's know, been at us for years. Right. He's he, right. that, that one song, Owen Burke, I've been listening to that song for years and years and years. And I always thought it was possibly too difficult because it's there's a, an extraordinary rawness and beauty about this song and an extraordinary story that goes with it. 
But eventually he kept at it and at it. And we learned it last year again. <laughs> and we're singing it now. And it is, you know, sometimes too, it brings you back to the joy of something new yeah. and knowing that you're doing it right. And that, that song and is pure homage to Nelly. Um, I know you tell me that that song is not yet recorded. Would it be very forward for me to ask you both if you might sing a little? A Pichin bug of it, perhaps. Pichin of it? Yeah. Have we got the words? Find a fuck there. Do you want to? I'll just do it with well, we'll I see. want to stand for this. That's no, okay. First you need this maybe crutches. But for Oh, 
Harave Arlen. Harave Arlen. It's lovely. It's very haunting. Yeah. Grimil Mahagiv, Trinagus Marriott, and Tom doing event in so thank you both so much. Mila, Mila, Falcherot. Can you any white ditch here? Good morning.